It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too. And somebody you hear on a regular basis in the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast already back to, to, uh, to we're going to plumb her depths. Is that what we're going to do? Samantha Bulge. Oh, freezing. Hi. Aloha. <laughs> So uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into Sam. Listeners of the show know Sam. Sam uh, Sam just kind of showed up and and, and became that a co-host exactly of the show. Exactly what happened? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I and and look, I've said it before. I don't know if she, Sam is is a real person or if she's just advanced artificial intelligence. Um, never seen her in person, but we'll find out. Um, let's I mean, let's get started. Sam, tell us about your beginnings. Where did you Where did Sam start? Uh, I was born in Florida. Um, I am the second of four children. When I was born, uh, my father was deployed um, because he was in the Navy for almost 30 years. So when I was three, to back up a little bit, I, I mentioned I have three siblings. So there are four of us. We were born in the span of five years. So 92, 93, 95, and 96. So when I was three, so the youngest of us was, oh, a handful of months old. We moved to Iceland um, because with my father being in the military, we were, uh, we moved around every two and a half years. So we moved to Iceland. After that, we moved to Maryland. We moved to South Carolina. We moved to Italy. We moved to Japan. And then I went to college. Wow. Now, do you speak all those languages? Absolutely not. No, I still, um, I can count to 10 in Icelandic. I remember, I have a very vivid memory of learning that in my kindergarten Icelandic studies class. Uh, I have a vivid memory of that. I have a vivid memory of drawing where a puffin lives. Oh, Drawing wonderful. the habitat of a puffin because puffins will kind of burrow into the, the cliff faces. So there's, you know, a big log line and then there's the puffins burrow. And I have a very uh, I, vivid memory. Of that. I, I've always, I've always said puffins are the gophers of birds. You know, famously they are. Um, have, have either one of those bits of knowledge ever, other than on this podcast right now, have either one of those bits of knowledge counted again or the puffin stuff, puffin stuff ever, ever been useful one time one time i was asked who can count to 10 in a different language and i said well i can do it in italian or i can do it in icelandic and they're like that's not a real language like, no it is there are people there it's a whole country <laughs> who said it wasn't a real language someone in college i don't know i think in college yeah 
no. Um, and I went to a very uh, quote unquote prestigious school. So which school did you go to? I went to American University, the real name of a real school in Washington, DC. Um, partly because I, I, we had lived in Maryland when I was much younger, um, right outside of DC. If people are familiar with like the Bethesda area, we lived, that's where my father worked. So we lived, you know, a bit away from that, but we would go into DC periodically, you know, just to do stuff. And I really, I remember enjoying the city. Uh, that is where my parents spent a lot of their young years, um, when they were dating and then got married. And I had always liked the idea. Uh, at the time I was in Japan and 17 um, and I had been accepted to a handful of schools and American University said, we'll give you money if you come here. And I said, great. That sounds like a place where other people are also gonna be from other places. And I won't feel so singled out for being from very far away. What, what did you wanna be when you grew up? <laughs> when I was younger or when I was 17? Both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, when I was younger, I mean, I, I really enjoyed acting. I really enjoyed theater stuff. Um, so I had this idea of I wanted to do acting things. I didn't want to like be famous or do movies that never appealed to me. I just really enjoyed being on stage. I really enjoyed storytelling as a medium. I enjoyed acting as the medium for the storytelling. So for a while I was thinking, you know, I might want to pursue theater and then work with children in theater or pursue theater and do like community stuff. Um, maybe look into directing, like see if I enjoy that. And then as I got older, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of what happened was a, lo a lot of conversations about how theater doesn't make a lot of money or, you know, you'll be a really good barista if you study theater. Fair point, sure. Yeah, get into um, early learning for the big bucks, yeah, huh? Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, all right, fair. And I, I have a very distinct memory, actually, of my junior year of high school when uh, Tyler Reed, I don't know where you are, but I hope you're well. Um, we are in our honors history class or honors English. I can't remember which. Um, and he asked me, so like, what do you want to do? And I legitimately had no answer because I... It, I, I did not know what I wanted to do. Um, I was 15 and just really enjoying being good at school. So I immediately answered, uh, maybe teaching. That, that was it, maybe teaching. And then, oh, teaching what? It's like, well, I have a, there's we have family friends that do like elementary special ed. And that seems kind of interesting to me. And he said, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. And that was the end of that conversation. I had not actually looked into elementary special ed at all. I just knew of these two people that were friends of, that were the daughters of my mother's good friend that did that. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe I do look into that because they seem like really interesting people. Um, they seem to really like what they're doing. Maybe I will, I will research into that a little bit. So then the next semester for my uh, career practicum course, they put me in a special education classroom at the elementary school, literally across the hallway because it was a military base and everything was just one big lump of stuff. So I, I hung out there for a while and got to meet those children and got to hang out with that teacher and thought to myself, oh, I love these relationships. I love this. Cause sure there was a bit of the, I enjoy watching the children make progress, 
Um, and I think it's important that we reach out to all of the children in this school to make progress. And if they are not making progress in their classroom, then sure, come to this other little room and we'll find another way to work with you. But also I just really enjoyed getting to know them and hanging and seeing them every day and seeing when they would see me walking to my classes while they're, you know, in their line in the elementary school. And I'm, you know, walking across the high school campus and they would kind of point to me and I would wave like, oh, this is lovely. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this relationship building. I did not know at the time that that's what I was enjoying. I thought I was enjoying teaching. Um, and like, we go back to the banking analogy a lot on these podcasts. I thought I was enjoying transferring knowledge. That's not what I was enjoying. <laughs> I'm thinking of acting in terms of, of working with children because that's that I mean you need to act quite a bit when you're with children I think you oh absolutely so you could there's a lot of it. absolutely I think I've been thinking about that a lot recently too there's a lot of this performance element not that I'm performing to entertain them but that everything I am doing is establishing something some story about the day I feel like it's Lisa that talks about and maybe she got it from someone else, but talks about um, how like I, the teacher, the adult in the room is in charge of really kind of setting up the weather, setting up the environment, right? Mm -hmm. In the classroom, setting the climate. And in a way, my performance is what does that. When I am late because my bike, you know, had an issue on the road and I get to school and I'm flustered, they know I'm flustered. <laughs> and if I'm not, you know, kind of playing that off or playing it up, then it, it becomes part of our day and it becomes, you know, now what we're talking about. What, so. What's flustered Sam look like? I haven't seen that before. Really? I feel like I'm flustered all the time. Oh, what's it, <laughs> well, what, what's it look like? I don't... Much more, she's much, well, much more quiet. Flustered Sam is the first time I called in to the like Wednesday night chats of the childcare bar and grill. And I kept my camera off and I kept my microphone off because I didn't want to do anything embarrassing and I didn't want anyone to know who I was. I just wanted to listen and make sure it was a safe place. Oh. So I was very flustered at that point. So it was like, I was, that was so outside of my comfort zone. How much that. better this podcast would be if I would turn my <laughs> microphone off? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, if you had never invited me to speak, <laughs> if you like hadn't noticed the black box with my name on it. Apparently I didn't because I don't remember that. I find it interesting because, um, you had an interest in acting, right? Um, yeah. And and yet you were worried that to not to make a fool of yourself because in acting, you, one has to sort of really let go and just absolutely do and all kinds of things. My and first my first role was in fifth grade, um, and I was cast as the court jester. Uh -huh. And my drama teacher said because it was basically like I had minor lines here and there in this short, you know, fifth grade play, but she said, I want you to write your own monologue. And I, I, I remember just agonizing over it for days, not because I thought it was going to embarrass me, but because I needed it to be funny enough. And as a fifth grader, that is a tall order because I'm performing in front of the entire school. So, you know, what is funny enough? I ended up using puppets um, for Wonderful. a little bit. Yeah. I, and, I, I loved it. I had a great time. I think that was, that was very telling for me. That whole experience was actually really interesting for me. I was reflecting on it um, while I was thinking about quote unquote preparing for this podcast. Yeah. Um, 
Isn't that's that fun, the- Jeff? People prepare. <laughs> yeah. But that was one of the first experiences that I really remember where a teacher, and this was in fifth grade, so this isn't even technically early childhood anymore, but um, where a teacher gave us so much voice and choice in what we were doing. Because what she had done was, it was Missy Kinkelhofer um, in South Carolina. She had found a script for a play. And it was, I guess it, it either had been written by another group of fifth graders or was written for another group of fifth graders. And the first thing she did when she passed it around, she said, this is bad. This is not well written. And I want you all to take this and change it for what you want to do. So we got to change characters. We got, she, she, there was a moral of the story, which was mostly about not being a jerk, as far as I recall. Um, but we got to change it up and make it as different as we wanted to. We got to rename the whole show. We got to design what the set's going to look like, what the costumes are going to look like, write our own lines for the most part. And that was such a cool experience for me to be trusted by an adult as you know, someone who at that year was you know, constantly being told about how you're going to middle school next year and you're a young adult, all these different things. But I hadn't felt that level of trust before and that level of, you know, just almost worthiness, I guess. Like your ideas are good. You're a fifth grader and the things you come up with are important and they matter. And you should have a voice in what you're doing on this stage, off this stage, whatever it is you're going to choose to do. What an that, important lesson. I mean, that, that's for all ages. That's for absolutely. all ages. Sam, I'm, I'm confused. Oh, about, about which part? Well, about the part, I, I, I knew nothing about this acting side of you. Okay. Um, so this is, this is news to me. But what I, what I have known about you is that, and you've talked about this in other episodes, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not calling you out for anything, but Please you, do. you, you, but, but I'm going to do it. Um, so you, you've, you've talked in, in, in past episodes about, uh, social anxiety and that uh-huh. kind of stuff. And so how does this outgoing theater girl, um, how, how does the social, how, how does that, what, what's going on there? Oh, I have no idea. I wish I knew. Um, but I think that's very funny because again, in preparation for this podcast, I asked my mother who is currently with her parents. So my grandparents down in Florida. And I asked her, I said, if you were going to describe me as a child, but think, you know, early childhood, what would you say? She said, well, I asked her grandparents and they said, dramatic. Uh, Do they want to expand on that at all? He said, "Uh, Grandpa says when you walked in a room, you made sure everyone knew you were there. And I thought that was very interesting because I feel like now when I walk in a room, I am looking for ways to leave the room if there are too many people in it. It's a lot of people. I don't know how to talk to a lot of people. So I do not know um, what that change was. There's two things that interest me because of the acting. And that I think might be related to your childhood, which I'm dying to get into. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I think that affects the things that we do and the, and the choices we make. But the other thing is, is that you are also ambitious because if you did acting, as you said, you wouldn't be able to earn a lot of money. Of course, right. early childhood doesn't pay <laughs> either. But it was something that made you think I, I shouldn't do take that path. So there is some kind of ambition. Yeah. And I, it's not, it's not like, again, it's not an ambition of being famous. Like I never wanted 
that because again I think part of like the social anxiety piece I wasn't particularly interested in but I've kind of going back to those relationships I've always been interested in the way people impact each other Uh Um, and I think part of that has to do with I grew up in a very big family (laughs) where everyone impacted each other all the time so I was even as a young child a lot of my memories are of me thinking about things that have happened and I it's memory is so weird and fuzzy right but I have a very I again I have a very vivid memory of myself in kindergarten on the swings thinking about two other children that I had been playing with and just wondering about them and just wondering I wonder what what are the kind of pajamas she wears I don't remember their names at this point but I remember just wondering about people in like kind of a weird way <laughs> and I remember um in, I, I think I went to like a very part-time preschool like three days a week nine to two I think with three other kids I've again this could be a fever dream my mom says this was real um but I distinctly remember the um it was snack time and we used these plastic cups and they were reusable plastic cups and each one of them was a different color. And I remember me and one of the other kids both wanted, I think it was the pink cup. It could have been the yellow cup. Um, and I remember the adult who I do not have a vision of her face. I, I don't know her, but I can see her body like sitting down at the snack table, kind of cutting pieces of cheese and saying, you know, everybody gets a turn with all the different kinds of cups. And I vividly remember thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, that is kind of a dumb thing to argue about. Yeah, oh, that's weird. I wonder why we argue about that. And then I just moved on and ate my cheese. Uh- <laughs> so how old were you? Because th- these are quite vivid memories. Yeah, I would have been four in, I, I was most likely four or five in preschool because I am a December birthday. Uh-huh. So for a while, I was one of the oldest kids uh, in the class since my birthday's in December. And then I skipped a grade. So then I became one of the youngest kids in the class in middle school. So I, I was probably about four or five, four wow. or five, six for both of those memories. That's quite a memory for that age. Yeah. And again, very specific and very weird. <laughs> Did, uh, did you feel safe at growing up as a, a young child in your family emotionally? Oh, absolutely. I think, so I mentioned previously, my father was in the Navy. So, and I, I was born in 93. So I have, I, I was seven, eight uh, during 9-11 and my father was in the military. So I think that's when a lot of things changed, um, you know, just, just, in general in the entire world, but also in my family unit, because, you know, we had like my dad had left again, he was deployed when I was born, he would go places periodically to serve with, he's a doctor. Um, so, you know, he would be with some other clinic for a while or, or something like that. And then 9-11 happens and it was, your dad's going to war. And we're like, oh, Oh, that's, that's something you read about in textbooks. Dads don't go to war anymore. No, they do. Um, and I felt, I felt very safe in my family. I felt very safe at school. I felt like 
in the present moment, I was safe, but I think that's when a lot of my massive anxiety started of, oh, there is so much I cannot understand. There is so much I cannot comprehend. There's so much my dad can't even tell us about where he is and when he's coming home and what he's doing. Um, I was very lucky in that that's right about when email kind of started to take off. So my dad would email us and he could attach pictures sometimes. And we had a big map of where his boat was. And, you know, we'd listen on the news for what his boat was doing in as far as it was okay to listen on the news. Cause there were some days we didn't do that. <laughs> um, and that again, every day I felt safe, but I think I was just filled with this wor constant worry of there, the other shoe was always going to drop. Right. Uh -huh. I had, I had, I had now lived that of like, oh, look, the shoe dropped. So now I was just waiting for the next one constantly. So are you more outgoing than all your other siblings? They would say yes. But you don't feel that way. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I'm a very gregarious introvert. Uh -huh. I, uh, <laughs> and I think a lot of that too is, you know, this social conditioning of being, being a good, nice girl, which was very important to me growing up partly because from a young age, and I don't think it was wrong that I was told this, but from a young age, I, I had learned that everything you do reflects on your dad, especially when we were living on military bases. So I was very aware of how my presence and how I carried myself would impact my father um, or would get around to like him hearing about it. So it was very important to me to be very polite, um, to you know, raise my hand to go to classes, to be on time in classes, to be really good at my classes. That was, uh, that was very important to me. And I don't know if it made me better at those things because I cared so much about it, or I was, you know, already just a decent reader and writer. So I could pretty much get through most of my classes since, you know, I enjoyed those. Did all your siblings feel that way? Yeah, definitely. At least it, possibly not to the same exact extent, um, but we all we, we've talked about it before. Um, we all have had that feeling. And I think, you know, for my younger brother, especially, that became more, even more of a source of anxiety for him, you know, because he, you know, if he stayed out later or whatever, then it became not just about him doing things. It became about, oh, what is Captain Neiman's son doing? And that's, you know, that's, that's even worse, right? So very, very interesting. <laughs> I have interacted with, uh, with a fair number of bass brats in my day who, who heard that, hey, everything you do is a reflection on your dad, your mom, and then they did everything they could do to <laughs> make that a bad right. reflection. Um, so you, 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 you. Very much the opposite. You're very much the opposite of, of what I thought was standing uh, standard operating procedure for military Yeah, kids. that's funny. That's funny, but all, I mean, not, not that this was not the case in the people that you knew either, um, but I think very importantly, I have two awesome parents. Uh, my mom and my dad are dope. They're super cool. Even, you know, growing up, I knew I have really cool parents. I have really delightful parents who are very funny, who care a lot about us, um, who sometimes drive me bananas because there are four kids within five years of each other in this house so you know there's gonna be some arguments about certain things but overall 
just, they were so great that I always felt like it was so much my responsibility to be good for them and at them and around them. I felt like they deserved that from me because they had, you know, they've been so great to me. I've, I've never been hungry. I've never been cold. I've never really been bored. Um, I've never felt unwanted. I've never felt more stressed than I would have made myself feel anyway. (laughs) So for me, it was, it was a lot about, you know, oh, these are my parents and I, and I owe this to them because, you know, they, they could not do any more for me than they already have. So that, that anxiety that you started experiencing from 9-11, do you take it with you into your work, into your relationships, or is it just something that you suffer with? Um, I think, I think for a long, long time, it was just something I suffered with. I think there was a point, it was not until I was in college that I realized, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, like in a, it, it's it, almost obsessive behaviors um, where if I do a certain number of things, or if I do this certain thing in this certain way, then everything is going to be all right. Like my actions of this very trivial thing of like which door of the Metro I take or, you know, which, if I take the escalator or the stairs, like that's going to impact if something good happens or if something bad happens. That's not how normal people think. (laughs) Um, Well, you don't know how people think. You don't know how other people think. That's true. But I I know know what you mean. It was not until I got to college that I really realized, oh, other people are not living their lives this way. This is something I am doing for some reason. And maybe I should figure out that reason because what happens tomorrow is not dictated by if I take the stairs or if I take the elevator. I have no bearing on what's going to happen next in terms of like a geopolitical scale. So (laughs) what made you come to that realization? Just talking to more people, I think. Um, And also being in college away from literally everyone I had ever known. When I went to college, my family still lived in Japan and my older brother was at NYU in New York. So he was about five hours away. Um, You know, our grandparents were in Florida and we had family friends somewhere around, but for the most part, it was just me. I was just by myself. And as mentioned a little bit previously, I've sort of always been in my head thinking about stuff all the time. And then when I started taking sort of those general ed courses in college. I took a psychology course, I took a sociology course, and then I started to really understand in a way that I hadn't previously, you know, how we're all conditioned based on our upbringings and how our environment and our genetics influences who we are. I really started to understand some stuff about myself and about, you know, what growing up on a military base as a military child kind of did in terms of my psyche um, and my my thinking processes. So I'm very grateful for that. I think it was, it was very interesting for me to go through. Um, and then, you know, finally like going to therapy as an adult being like, ah. hey, you don't just go to a doctor when you're sick. You also go to get a checkup. Maybe I should get my brain checked up on. That was also great. That's terrific. 
Because I think, you know, all people who've been brought up by adults need therapy. Yeah, true. True, true, true. <laughs> what do you, do you, from all that moving around, do you have have friends in all those places that you mentioned that you're still in contact with or did you did you avoid making those long-term relationships just because you knew you were going to be moving in in 24 months i really enjoy this question um it is a combination of both i have never wanted to not love people fully i've never wanted to not be in friendships with people i have all like i've craved that connection i love those relationships and because I've moved so often, and when I was younger, you know, I was moving when children weren't really using the internet because um, they shouldn't have been. So those relationships from when I was very young, you know, from Iceland, from Maryland, from Charleston, those, you know, those kind of fell apart. Um, and that's okay, wherever those people are. Victoria Craig, I hope you're well. Um, because we, we didn't really have a huge way of, keeping in touch at that point because I moved abroad and then there are people I met in Italy that I am still in contact with uh today there are people from Japan that I'm still in contact with and even even now I'm going on actually we're over 10 years of the last time I saw I think anybody from Japan uh it was like the day after my high school graduation that I left so that's like the last time I saw them and I mean I still you know I'm lucky that I could keep in contact with them. When I had Facebook, I would keep in contact with them. Now Instagram usually. Um, see what I have some of their phone numbers, like we'll text every now and then. So I do keep in contact with some people, not a ton, um, but some. And I am also, when I move now, I'm very honest with people. Um, people like people will say like, ooh, keep in touch. They'll be like, I'm going to be honest with you. You have to keep in touch with me because I'm so used to just leaving. That's, that's just what we did. So like, tell me you want me to talk to you and I will continue talking to you. But I, otherwise I will take it as you are moving, like the friendship is coming to a close and that is okay. So you tell me what you want. Cause I don't, I don't naturally just like hit people up on the phone. I gotta, I gotta be told to do that. That's interesting. So now I don't know, are you working with children now? I am. So all this stuff that you've been talking about with us, how does it affect you working with children? I think I am. Like, for example, most... let me give you an example. Is, uh, what sort of children attract you? Like, you know, you don't love all children, I don't think. <laughs> I love most of them. Um, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always drawn to the children who are, you know, interestingly, not the ones that are gregarious extroverts. I am a lot of times I'm very drawn to the children who have one or two close friends or one close friend and spend a lot of time drawing, spend a lot of time doing puzzles, aren't so much the builders, but the ones that I can see are telling stories in their head or that will ask to tell me stories or ask me to tell them stories. I, I think I connect with them. Not that I don't connect with the other children, but I, I especially enjoy being in those relationships with those children. Um, I think partly just because it reminds me of when I was younger and the sorts of things I would do. And at the same time, I have really great re relationships with some of the kids that are just constantly on the move, that are looking to build things, that are looking to solve problems. Even if it's 
small problems like why won't this truck go down this ramp without flipping over? I find that very interesting. I always want to be part of that process of inquiry. And, you know, I was never really the kid that was doing that. So I think that's kind of an interesting comparison for me as a kid. I was, I was mostly writing, reading, drawing. I was never quite, I was never building too much. According to my mother, I really enjoyed uh, following the teachers. I was the teacher's pet. I enjoyed following them around. I enjoyed making sure everything was put away. I enjoyed helping the other people when they weren't done with their work, apparently, um, which I do not remember, but sounds accurate. <laughs> Have you heard of like the middle child syndrome? Oh, very much, yeah. That's do you think you were one? <laughs> oh yeah. And my, so I have an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister. And my younger brother and I refer to ourselves as the, as the middle children. Um, at one point we did the math to figure out who was more middle. <laughs> uh, was, was it my brother or was it me? And I think he was the more middle child between the oldest and the youngest. So I, I, I don't know. We started like analyzing that at one point. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting too because since there are four of us and there are two boys and two girls, we we all have very distinct and very interesting relationships with each other. Because Malcolm and I are the middle children, uh, we are also the most like my mother. Tabitha and I are sisters, so we have you know the sister connection, and then Nate and I are the oldest out of the four. So we have sort of this older sibling thing that we are responsible for our younger siblings in some sort of way. And we all have that with each other. So it's, it's very interesting the way we interact. Ma Malcolm's in the middle? Malcolm is literally <laughs> in the middle. It is true. He was not named after that show, but people ask us that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So Sam, you, you bumped into teaching um, with the school across the hallway. I did. Um, and so when was your next interaction with teaching or early learning? So I went to college <clears throat> with the intent of elementary education with a focus in special education. And American University had a very interesting relationship with a local school um, that is that has a special education focus. So I thought, great, this is this is where I want to be. And I thought I was for sure that my interest was in fourth or fifth grade children in that years because I really enjoyed reading and I really enjoyed content. It was like, oh, I would love like I loved history. I love history. I love reading about different perspectives. So I thought I would love to do that. So, you know, I. I get to college and amusingly now um, I get to college and they say, you're eligible for work study. So work study is where they say, we will give you a certain amount of money if you do one of these pre-approved jobs. And there was a work study job that was working with an organization that worked with young children, uh, particularly young children in low or more exploited socioeconomic areas and worked with them specifically on literacy and worked with the teachers and the children on literacy initiatives. And I thought that sounds cool because I'm 17 and I'm gonna change the world with sheer force of will. So I joined that organization. Uh, it's a work study job and I, I really enjoy it. Um, it's interesting. I, I mean, you can suss out what the organization is if you're truly curious. Um, 
but I, it's, it had a very scripted curriculum um, that a bunch of college kids would come in to work with three, four, five-year-olds with, and the teachers of those three, four, five-year-olds, um, many of which who have been in this profession for a long, long time, the majority of the, at least when I was there in that program, the majority of the college students were white and the majority of the children were not. So that was very interesting now, reflecting on that. Um, I think reflecting on it now too, again, my interest was way more in the relationships between myself and the children, even though the core component of the program was really this like pre-literacy thing where we read a specific book together and then we're gonna do activities based on the specific book. And I wanna be very clear, I don't think that program is harming children at all. I think it has these beautiful intentions based on data that I think maybe we pay a little too much attention to. Um, would I, as a now 28 year old, gravitate towards that program? No, for a variety of reasons. Um, but again, when I was there, I really enjoyed the times, especially when I wasn't doing the curriculum stuff, when I was just with the children and interacting with the children and talking to the teachers about their days and what they're doing with these children and playing with them, going outside with them, uh, watching them build things. That's where I kind of got this first taste of sort of an inquiry model of education and just asking children questions and following where they're going and how you support that instead of just giving them answers. And at the same time, I thought to myself, and I'm gonna be a fourth grade teacher. So I'm not paying attention to this. I was not paying attention to the little like lights in my brain that were flickering at this time, like these lights of interest, like, wow, isn't that so cool? Instead, I was like, no, no, I'm going to do this other thing. Um, and so I get to my senior year when we have our practicum, um, which is where you do not get paid to be an assistant teacher and you still have to pay to go to school and also pay whatever bills you have. So that started, so it's practicum and then student teaching. So I start and I go to a smaller-ish independent school in Maryland and they put me in a first grade class because their thought is, we'll put you in the grade level you don't think you wanna work with first. So then your second semester, you're with the people you really wanna be with. I don't know. So I get into this first grade classroom and I'm there for about 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, I don't like fourth graders. I like young children. I like young children because I like the way they work and I'm very interested in their social relationships with each other and their relationship with the teacher. So it was me, um, Allie Thompson, and I believe we had 12, 12 first graders. And I was just floored by the way you could interact with children that gives them everything they need and also apparently matches up with what the state or these parents are anticipating from them. Um, and again, this was an independent school. This was not a public school. So there, there was more freedom in a lot of the things that were happening, but this was a first grade classroom that had at least an hour and a half, if not two hours of just playing per day. And one, I, one of the first days I was there, Allie walks me outside and she says, so here is where they're gonna hang out and it's in the woods. 
She's like, so usually, you know, I walk around a little bit to make sure I can see him, but uh, I'll be right here if you need me. And, you know, she walks to go over to where she's going to hang out. I'm like, oh God, oh no. I'm now in charge of these like eight children in the woods. What do I do? And I didn't need to do anything. They did it all. I got to just be part of it as they were, I believe, looking for fairy houses is what they were doing that day. And I was enamored with their imagination. Of course they did. They made some. And then, and then that later turned into a thing with Allie, you know, and she treated me like an adult, which was incredible to me because I was 20 at that time. Um, And she, she saw me as someone she could work with, not work against, um, and wanted to train me up in a lot of ways. And at the same time, let me do my own thing. So I remember, you know, we would have conversations about things. She's like, I think I'm going to leave them a note from the fairies. And I thought, you can do that? <laughs> You're allowed to just have, have that kind of fun? She's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they would really enjoy that. And then, you know, in my, I'm still in college brain, like, oh, and then that's so much literacy and all of that. But, you know, for her, it was just about the joy with these children. And that, that stuck with me for, I mean, it still sticks with me, was how much it's, it's about all of that joy and just building those relationships with the children and enjoying your time together. Did you have that when you were in school yourself? Like, were there joyful times with your teachers? I think, I think so. I don't remember a ton of my early childhood. There were definitely joyful times, um, upper elementary upper elementary and then high school, I had really great relationships with some of my teachers. Um, but there, there was a lot of that, especially at home for me, was just a, a ton of just joyful experiences, just walking around in our backyard and there's a little lake back there. And is that a log or an alligator? I don't know, what if we throw a stick at it? Let's see what happens. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> and then, you know, wandering, wandering around the neighborhood, especially when we lived on base, you know, what do you do? You walk around because you live in a gated community. <laughs> You're just going to go walk around. And it's interesting that you stories. don't have a lot of memory of teachers doing no, that. No, I really don't. I really don't. I have, I have very vivid memories of Miss um, Hoffman, my fifth grade history teacher. But I also think that's because that was kind of the age when I was really becoming interested in how history shows us other people's perspectives. Um, Cause that, you know, we did a lot of like first person reading that year. We read um, Anne Frank's diary, that those kinds of things that were really powerful for me as a burgeoning young teenager person. Are you, which... are you teaching now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what age group? I teach preschoolers. So the children in our care right now are four and five. Beautiful age. It's yeah. I think that's my favorite. I don't, I, again, I always say I have a lot of favorites and that's, you know, it's true that I do, but I, I feel so comfortable in this age group. I feel so comfortable facilitating their curiosity and their interest. I think I've become a lot better at it than I ever anticipated I could be. And that when I was younger, you know, working in that program in college than I ever anticipated was even possible to be, because that was not you know, what I anticipated I would be doing. I I had that practicum and I really enjoyed it. Uh, And I was told, you know, you have to switch um, in the the spring semester. And I said, I I really don't want to, 
And Allie said, we really don't want her to either because she's kind of part of our classroom now. And there is some, there was some weird rule about how, you know, I couldn't do more than a semester's worth of unpaid work at that school, which is why I guess they would move schools. So you could do two semesters of unpaid work. And so the school said, we'll give you $10 an hour if you stay. I was like, okay. And I, I remember when I got that phone call and they said, you know, we've been approved. We can pay you $10 an hour. A, I thought that was a ludicrous amount of money. Um, and B, I was shocked that I was considered worthy of that. I had never thought of myself as someone in any way outstanding and any way worth changing a rule for. So to be told you're an important part of this classroom and this school year, we want you to continue here. We're going to bend the rules to keep you here. I mean, I was so exceptionally grateful for that and you know, tried really hard to never take it for granted because that's not an opportunity a lot of people get. So I was, I was very lucky to do that. And I thought, you know, after that, I'm definitely gonna, gonna stay elementary because this is what I love. I love doing this. And then I, uh, through a, another job I had, I was a, um, a caregiver for a young girl with, um, autism spectrum disorder. Um, I had two caregiving jobs in that realm, but it, this particular one that I was doing, uh, the, the, her mother had helped start a charter school in Washington, D.C. that was focused on um, an inclusive model of education. And I reached out to them and they were hiring a second grade teacher. And I think because I happened to know someone who started the school, I started the school, I think that helped me out a bit. But, um, you know, they took a chance on this 20 year old fresh out of college person to teach second grade. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that if, if we ever invent that time machine, uh, there's a lot of stuff we'd be like, wow, that's bad. Right. <laughs> that is dumb and bad stuff you are doing. But right. you're also 20 um, and just graduated college. And, you know, I, I think it was a successful year in a lot of ways and a, a very big year of growth in a lot of other ways. And what, I'm mo what I continue to be most proud of is, is the community that we had in that classroom. Because um, that was a really important point for me. So I had 20 children. Um, and to get to a point where they all kind of liked each other. <laughs> you know, they weren't all best friends, but they were, they were a very respectful group. They were a very, they cared about each other it in a way like, that- It sounds like you set a respectful tone. But that, that was my, that was my hope the whole time is, you know, the rest of this, how to add and subtract time that's complicated for me. And I'm an adult person, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna harp on you on that, but I want you to care about each other. I want you to at the very least have some sort of understanding of what is happening in this, in this classroom and in this school, because all of you are important and, you know, that's, that's, we don't, we don't do anything well without each other. So I would hope that you have each other. So that was wonderful. Um, and then I got married and that's when everything fell off the rails. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of, tell me about it. That's when, that's when, that's when, that's when things started to change. So I, I got married, um, to my then boyfriend and I mean, if you're going to get married, that's better. Yeah. Better than a, yeah. Yeah. Better than just some guy. Um, 
so he he joined the navy and he joined the navy and is this when before he, or after you get before or after you get married this or, is before we get married he joined the navy and um we have a conversation about it and the conversation is just kind of well we'll just see what happens um and i'm like okay you know i i like this dude um and you're so, also used to having somebody in the navy exactly i was, I was pretty used to it so <laughs> like you know i like i like this guy quite a bit um and you know he is now on a journey of self-discovery or whatever so i will hang out here i will do my job i will do my job the best i can um and you know we'll see where things go where he ends up what he wants to do um and he, he the way he tells it uh, about i think he said a week after he left he was like oh yeah i think i just want to marry her i don't know why i didn't do that before <laughs> um so he uh he sent me an email asking if if we wanted to get married um because he did not have access to a phone at that time um so we got married a week after he sent that email i went up to where he was where which happened to be where my parents were living at the time um we get married and then i go back to work and he goes back to his job and he moves to florida and i'm like well great i'm gonna come with you because I, I like you a lot and i've i've done this you know i've moved around all the time so let's let's see what happens. I'm a teacher. That's a pretty portable career. We'll see where things go. I get to Florida. I get a job teaching kindergarten because I am very interested in young children. And I thought kindergarten is the age I haven't taught yet. And that's, you know, notoriously a very difficult grade to teach. So I would like to learn about this just from a strictly academic perspective. That is so interesting. Hey. I, I would never have thought that kindergarten would be the hard age to teach. Good That's Lord. what I, I had constantly heard that throughout college, constantly heard that. So I, I get there and I am teaching and it is a, it's a school going through a lot of transition. There's not a lot of support. There are a lot of kids with a lot of needs because again, it is a school in a, a relatively low socioeconomic area. Um, so I am constantly in talks with the vice principal, um, just about strategies, what's gonna, you know, can you help me figure out, you know, the best way to do this, this, and this. I have a whole scripted lesson plan for some state required thing I need to do because the scores in the school are too low on literacy. So we have to do this sort of thing. And I, I think it was a Tuesday where I, go in and I'm singing a song with, with the children before they go, before the PE teacher comes to pick them up. So I'm singing a song with them and it's about a frog and they're hopping all over the room. And then we, we finish the song and the PE teacher's there and they all go line up and the PE teacher gives me a fist bump. And he says, you're doing great. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Thanks coach. And then the principal comes in and she says, can you meet with me for five minutes? And I said, yeah, of course. So I go down to her office and she says, your classroom is a mess. You have a week to fix it. And that's all she says. And so I say, okay. And I go back to my classroom and I spend the next 18 minutes because the children are in PE bawling. I, I had not cried that hard in a long, long time. Um, and I go home and I'm continuing to cry just crying all the way on the drive home, crying while I'm there, crying to my husband. Like I, I, I don't under, of course it's a mess because I need support. 
And I've been asking for the support and trying to do the things and the thing, like some of the things are working, like the singing today was great. And some of the things aren't, and you know, where am I going to get the support? So I, you know, ask the principal again, you know, so can I, can I get some support in this area and this area? And she says, no. And I said, great, this is my two weeks notice. I am not going to stick around if you're not going to support me in this because I want to be good at this, but I clearly cannot manage it alone. You know, I'm 21 and I've never taught kindergarten before. I've never taught in this state before. And I'm, I'm not what you need right now. If you need someone that can just do it, I am not the person you need. Um, and I'm going to just be miserable being here. And that's going to harm the kids because I won't be able to be the person that they deserve. So I quit and for the next about year, I am in a massive depression <laughs> because I am completely shattered um, from riding on such a high of being someone people want and hearing that I am an effective teacher and I can do good things and I have good instincts and I come up with interesting ideas and the kids in my room care about each other to your classroom is a mess. I, I went very internal and I blamed myself for that completely. I thought, you know, it was, there was something, everyone else had been fooled by some part of me. And I, you know, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I should not go back into a classroom if I am such a destructive force. Um, so I looked at a couple other things that I could potentially do. Um, none of them really appealed to me. I want, I looked into like volunteer management kind of stuff. Um, and maybe like, um, ABA therapy. I looked into that for a little while. Um, you know, just trying to find something else that still called to that part of me that wants to be with people and form connections with people. But I was convinced that the classroom wasn't the place that I, I was good at and wasn't the place I needed to be. And when we moved again to Virginia, I thought, okay, what if maybe we stopped being quite so dramatic about all of this and we took a step back and maybe we realized it's not you. And in thinking that I decided, okay, if you wanna go back and try and, can, try and do kindergarten again, maybe what you need to know is about where kids come from before kindergarten. Maybe that is a piece you were missing. Again, I'm still trying to fix you know, myself convinced that that experience was something that I consciously did. So I start looking for early childhood preschool jobs because I think this is going to be a great academic exercise for me to learn about children before they're in kindergarten and what they're like and what they do and what experiences they have. And then I can use that going back into kindergarten someday and then go, you know, going back into first grade. And so I got a job That's and a very... <laughs> that's brilliant and that probably was lacking in your in your college did you not have preschool um classes and so forth see that's absolutely it absolutely not absolutely not there was none of that well time out i gotta ask tomorrow a question tomorrow you you spent some time educating future educators why is it that and i think this is this isn't the first time it's come up on this uh this series we're doing mm -hmm. why is it that that sam finds out in her in her last year of college the age she prefers to work with isn't that something we should we should help right. people figure out a little bit earlier no absolutely absolutely and you know in, in our college they also had to take an elementary uh degree um, mm -hmm. 
But I did this early childhood piece and I did preschool and toddlers and infants specifically teaching. Yeah. And, and they wanted me to do all the things that the, that the elementary ed needed. And I said, absolutely not. They've got to have child development. They've got to have the experience of preschool and emergent curriculum and, and you know, all the stuff that we know. And I stuck to it, uh, you know, towards the end, my dean was getting really mad at me, you know, because they need <laughs> more glad. structure. And, you know, every one of them came out of that program knowing about young children. It's so sad to hear that Sam had to go through all that. And yeah, but, but you had the sense to then go and learn that. Yeah, and you some have sort to of... have early childhood specifically and not all colleges do that. It's so bad. Yeah. I had, I, I had had none of that. The majority of my degree was focused on teaching strategies or classroom management strategies, sure. which, right. you know, there is a place for, right? I'm not saying that those are bad things to know about, but I am saying without any of the child development knowledge, it's sort of floating off in the either over here. Right. And had I, had I had more child development knowledge, excuse me, I think, you know, a lot of things would have been different. <laughs> um, but again, you know, I can't be upset at the way they turned out. So I, I ended up in Virginia getting a job uh, at a small church preschool. I had applied for a sort of teacher aid position because I was still in that place of, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough to be a real teacher possibly ever. So, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, not to say that aides aren't real teachers, by the way, but this is the deep depression, Sam, with this horrific thought process. Um, so like, give me more of a, I don't know, like, I don't think I can do full-time, I don't, you know, I, I need something different. And the director, um, when I'm interviewing says, so we actually filled the position you applied for, but I have a different position that I want to ask you about. Do you want to be like the aftercare coordinator? So that's the, cause all of our, our classes ended, you know, the, the one, the two-year-old class ends at noon, but then the kindergarten class doesn't end until three. So there's some parents that need their kids here the whole day. So would you be interested in sort of heading up that after school care program? So that's a mix of age groups, mix of activities. And then any day where we don't have school, you could also plan what we do. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. I'll give that a try. That, that sounds really interesting. And it was a delightful job. It was a delightful experience because I got to work with so many different teachers from all of these age groups, so many different children. And I think being in the aftercare portion was especially beneficial for me because there was very little stress on continuing exactly what was happening in the classrooms, you know, and like, oh, the two, three-year-old classrooms are doing this. So, you, you know, can you also talk about starfish or whatever? There was never any of that. I got to really kind of follow children's interests in a way that I had done very briefly before, but had never done on that kind of a scale. And so you were hooked on the early years from that point on, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. From that point, I was like, oh, all that stuff I loved about being in the classroom, about inquiry, about children asking questions, about experimentation, this is the place I want to do it. This is what's so interesting. And I just started going to the library and reading and reading and reading. And I read a lot about the things they do in the schools of Reggio Emilia. I read a lot about the things they do in the schools of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I got really interested in it. 
just absolutely fascinated in these different ways of looking at childhood, looking at child development. So there was this, you know, the sociological interest I've always had about people and their connections to each other and the brain science and then the science of teaching and it all kind of pulled together in this delightful little world that I thought, well, of course I want to be part of this. This sounds great. So I did a certificate program to get uh, the required credits you need to be, because my, my bachelor's degree in elementary did not count for anything um, in early childhood. So I did a certificate program that was like 15 credits, I think, um, that would count as early childhood credits specifically. Uh, I, did a, I did a couple of different ones of those. There's one I did in Virginia and then we moved to San Diego. So then I did another one when I was in San Diego and got a job as an assistant teacher in a classroom um, that was within a homeless shelter. So mm. I, pause. and it was, pause. Pause, pause. Yeah. Hey, Sam, we're, uh -huh. we're gonna do something different here. Um, Ooh. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 look, you're in the first quarter of your journey. Uh, hopefully, God. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to wrap it up in the next few minutes and we're, we're going to have you back on so we can hear more about it because I want to hear, I, I want to hear, I want to hear more about you deciding to, to get your master's and I want to hear where you're planning on going and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, yeah. and we're, we've, we've decided we're going to, these, these episodes were going to two hours and it was getting a little bit long. So I think, I think it's good that we break it and then come back with Sam part two. But before we like do fun. that, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a question I got to ask. Yes. Um, so you've talked a lot about with your interactions with kids, the relationship, the relationship, the relationship. But yeah. when you were talking about your interactions in your real life, it's like, I'm going to be here for a couple of years. If you want to have a relationship after that, it's on you. Um, Why are you so weird? Is that no, no. I, I don't it's know not if it's saying weird. that at all. But it's an important thing that he just saying. it just struck me as there. I don't know if there's a disconnect there or how do you how how do how do we rectify those two things th those two parts of you? I think, or, or maybe we maybe we don't. I don't. Maybe know. we first of all maybe we don't. But second, kind of you know, kind of like I said earlier, I am I'm not afraid of being friends with people. I'm not afraid of loving people. I want to do that, and for me, it's very similar to when I am with them in the classroom. Like when I am with these children, I, I come to an understanding that I am this portion of their life and that they will eventually move on. Um, whether they go to a different school or a different classroom, you know, I am, I am but one part of the story. So I will have this relationship with them now. And if that relationship continues from here, cool. And if it doesn't, that's fine because not all relationships are going to be lifelong. They're not all going to serve us in this way. So I have this very similar thing when I you know, meet new people. I'm like, of course I wanna be friends with you and I wanna hang out with you and do things. And I recognize that due to my weird life, when I move and when things happen, you know, if we don't keep in touch, that's okay. Like we, we, we got what we needed from each other right here. And if there is more we need or more we desire, of course, we're going to keep that going. That but I don't so think interesting. it has to. That is so interesting. I mean, because so many teachers and me included, I mean, even as a college professor, when the 
children leave me or my students leave me to go on, I have a hard time for a while and I miss them terribly and I get the new group and it takes me a while to sort of get into it. But you're so able yeah. to, to, to understand that, you know, we, we journey away with people and then we move on. And that is such a wonderful way to look at it. I'm, I'm glad you think it's wonderful because I have, pe- have had people, you know, tell me that that's very cold and that's very oh. uncaring. And it's, it, to me, it's, it's just a different kind of caring, you know. Well, you're probably I, I... very in the moment with people because right. that's what I'm I try to do now. Yeah, for, exactly. for me, when they when they move on, it's always it's it's even even the challenging kids. It's like somebody took a melon baller and and scooped out a hunk of my heart. Yeah, but then I'm I've, I've got a I've got a bit of the Sam in me too because I'm like, okay, I they've been here for four and a half years. We had this relationship. They're moving on. When they are twenty five, they're barely going to remember my name if right. at all, and and that's okay. But but there's that that sense of loss that goes with that too. And I'm I'm guessing you got some version of that. You're not you're not oh, you're yeah. not like uh, uh, screw them. Time to move on. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think for me, you you just had the analogy of you know it being a melon baller and people taking pieces of your heart. But for me, I've always thought of it more as you know there is this quilt, and they as soon as I meet them, they add you know, some scraps, some fabric, some motif to the quilt. And even after they leave, that quilt still exists. It is still there. Um, oh, it, that's beautiful. It that, does, that, like, that's much. Nothing is taken away from me by their leaving. That's not quite as gross as my melon ball or the heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like that. That's better. Are you still with your husband? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. well, there you go. He's just at work. <laughs> do, do, I don't know. Do you still like him? Then. Uh, no, I love him very much. Oh, <laughs> that's great. great. That's great. He's, he's delightful. Hey, he's, listeners, he wonderful. listeners, we're going to come back with Sam at some point and, and not the far future, the midterm future. And we're going to find mm-hmm. out how how her husband went from, well, I really like that guy to loving him. I want to hear more of that romantic story. <laughs> uh, find out if she still got that email where he proposed. We're going to we're going to yes. hear about uh, how Sam went and got her master's and uh, and maybe about where where Sam is about ready to start on some hopefully some other adventures. Um, yeah. too. And, and, uh, so it's going to be an ongoing, uh, uh, experience we have from Sam and you can hear her on maybe, maybe even the next episode of the childcare oh. bar and grill. Cause I don't, I don't exactly know what order they're, they're going to be played in. Um, any final thoughts about yourself before we pull the plug on this one, Sam? I, I find it shocking that there's two episodes about me. I, I'm just some guy. Well, look, you got to go out and do some more shit first. I mean, we're, we're not going to schedule am, that. Up. We're not going to schedule the next right. one tomorrow. You got to you got to go put a couple other, notches in your early learning bill. Other people have one. I'm like, I'm just some dude. <laughs> but I wouldn't think, I, actually, I don't think you're just some dude. You sound so um, respectful and responsible in how you in how you think about things. Oh, thank you. I try to be. It's, it's a process. And me, I me, I try to, I try to text message Sam at least once a week so that uh, it's great. she knows we still need to have a relationship. Um, <laughs> Which I appreciate. Thank you. This... Oh, well then what do I do? I need your email address so that I can keep Jeff telling you that email. I'm around. Yeah, I can, I can hook you up probably. Yeah. This has been the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast. Back soon. With, hey, you're looking for more Tamar. You're looking for more Sam. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash Tamar dash Jacobson or playvolutionhq.com slash Samantha 
dash bolts and you'll find both of them and how to get in touch with them back soon with another episode thanks for listening bye-bye bye, bye. bye. <laughs>